Well, thank you for joining us for Connecting the Diocese, a production of the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. My name is Jack Sosha. We are here during this time of Lent with some different programming. Uh, we're going to be talking with Tom Thibodeau, the Distinguished Professor of Servant Leadership, in just a little bit about some appropriate things for Lent. It does occur to me that when Lent comes around, there are several different ways that people deal with it. There are some who totally ignore Lent. They don't get involved in it whatsoever. There are some who decide, yes, I'm going to give up something for Lent, maybe chocolate or beer or who knows what. And there are others who look at Lent as an opportunity for a spiritual exercise. Now, that is a whole different ball game, and we'll be talking more about that as we talk about the, the Real Presence campaign that is coming to our area later on. But this time, a little chat with Tom Thibodeau. Lots of talk about doing good things for other people and also how that can fit into your Lenten spiritual exercise. Back after this on Connecting the Diocese. Most of the folks I work with at the Diocesan Center are heavily involved in this big Eucharistic Revival Program, which is going to be culminating in June. Many of you have not yet heard about it, and there's all kinds of different takes as to why it is important. I'm going to give you mine, and it's kind of a corny analogy. My dad was a big Chrysler fan. He, he had used Chryslers from ever since I can remember, and he finally was able to buy a brand new one. But for some reason, this thing never accelerated properly. The light would turn green, he'd step on the gas, and the thing would kind of slowly get up to speed. Now, he wasn't expecting a jackrabbit start, but he wanted it to move a little bit faster. And he would take it back to the same gas station, and they would look at it and shake their heads, and they would turn up the idle a little bit to the point where basically you had to keep your foot on the brakes until the light turned green and when you let go the thing would then shoot ahead. This went on for years and after he passed away I inherited the car. I took it down to Texas where I was working at the time and of course it had the same kind of problem. I took it to a place and they took one look at it and they said, oh, your accelerator pump isn't working. And they went to an auto parts store and bought this $79 part and dropped it in and bingo, the thing was fixed and it took off from the green light like it was supposed to. Somehow, the place that had looked at this car over and over again in New Jersey never saw the accelerator pump, and it never occurred to them it might be what has to be fixed. This is part of the Eucharistic revival. Just maybe there's something you've looked at over and over again, or overlooked over and over again, and that question will be answered for you, and it will change your entire perspective on your relationship with your church, your family, your God, whatever. So maybe we should just call some of these shows a spiritual tune-up. Get a little more good mileage out of your time at church. Stay tuned, there's a lot more to come on Connecting the Diocese. All right, let's uh, get going now with Tom Thibodeau, Professor Tom Thibodeau from Viterbo University. I want to kind of advise you ahead of time. This is a very densely packed discussion and a great one worth listening to. I will be talking very, very little in it, and isn't that nice for a change? But Tom has got a lot of things to say. If you're trying to do things like wash dishes while you're listening, maybe you want to put the dishes aside and just listen carefully. And don't forget, this will be up on our website, diolc.org connecting, if you want to hear it again. I clipped off some of the introduction of us saying hi, nice talking to each other, so we can fit all of the good stuff in. So let's just start right now with Professor Tom Thibodeau. We can talk all we want about depression. We can talk about anxiety. We can talk about being overwhelmed. 
But how do we begin to talk about what it is to be well, to be healthy, to be whole? So this has been my quest these last couple of years. Started with a book called uh, Living in the Age of Distraction, but medieval monks can teach us about the modern world. And it's just very fascinating. This historian goes back and looks at all the desert communities that go back to the second and third centuries, actually, and recognize how people left Rome or Constantinople or other urban centers in order to retreat to the desert to quiet, solitude, solace. And then they were enjoined by others and thus began these communities. And these communities lived together, but they were trying to discern for themselves the will of God, but they recognized you could not be healthy by yourself. And so what does it mean to live in, in community? Um, we have a number of different iterations, but then St. Benedict of Nursia in the 5th century uh, goes off and is living as a, as a hermit, and others join him because they were interested in his discipline. And he said, for us to live together, we must have a rule. And so he wrote the rule, and uh, his first group of monks thought it was too severe, so they tried to poison him. So Benedict realized that wasn't going well, so he moved off. And then other monks came and joined him and said, would you please guide us? And he does. And this becomes the rule of St. Benedict, which is still lived out today in monastic communities. So I began paying attention to that. Then I began paying attention to what is it to be healthy. And I've been studying courses in well-being. And, of course, every course in well-being ends up uh, talking about mindfulness. And oftentimes it talks about the wisdom of the East, but I've forgotten about the wisdom of the West, the, the, the contemplatives of the desert, the desert fathers and the desert mothers, and the way in which people have, have formed themselves for a lifetime. So then I read on a course being offered in the University of Pennsylvania on how to live like a monk, how to live deliberately, intentionally, taught by Professor Paul McDonald. Paul grew up Catholic, had also joined a Buddhist monastery. We've both seen some of the things, same things I'm seeing in the lives of our students, being overwhelmed, anxious, being pulled apart, distracted. And so we began teaching a course at the University of Pennsylvania, How to Live Deliberately and Intentionally, which the students renamed How to Live Like a Monk. And when you take McDonald's class, what you have to do is you have to limit your access to technology only to be used during class or for work. Second, people are to limit their access to processed foods, sugar, alcohol. Um, again, healthy habits. Third, you must commit yourself to seven to eight hours a night of rest. Gallup organization says that if you want to be effective, you must sleep eight to nine hours of rest a night. Rest is the dishwasher of the mind. It, it relaxes us. Then, what he, what he talked about is that you have to um, limit your speech. You have to limit what you spend on yourself to less than $50 a week. Well, I took that and I thought, I can do this. I've been a pre-monk training when I was at St. John's. I was formed by the monks at St. John's. I worked with the Franciscan Sister of Perpetual Adoration. I know what it's like to live within a religious community, the importance of vows and stability, being committed to each other. And so in my class, I had people say, I will commit myself 
to living simply and prayerfully. I will spend one hour a day in contemplation, meditation, reflection, and journaling. I will spend one hour a day in manual labor, ora et labora, to work and to pray. I will spend seven to eight hours a day in sleep and rest. How important it is for renewal. I will limit my access to refined sugars and processed food and alcohol. I will try to live healthily. I will begin every conversation humbly and joyfully. I will abstain from idle chatter, trying to nurture silence and solitude in my life. Well, I had nine people in the class, and it's just amazing now I'm doing interviews with people, talking about how they have experienced changes in their lives, how they feel much more clear, much more settled, much more focused, much happier. How important it is for us to live in community in terms of a disciplined life. I asked each of them to set up a monastic routine for themselves as to when they would go to bed and get up each and every day. See, routine and discipline provide more freedom. It's paradoxical. When we have all kinds of unlimited options, it creates high levels of anxiety. And then people feeling, well, I can do everything. No, you only you have the parameters of time and space. And this is what they understood within the monastic community. Or at labora, they would get up and they would pray in the morning. They would eat together. They would go to work. And then at the time, they would stop and pray again at 9 and then work until noon and then pray and then have lunch. Uh, during lunch, somebody would read the sacred text. I call it the original podcast. And then they go back to work in the afternoon, but stop at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. People are always talking about work-life balance. Well, the monks always understood you need to work some, you need to pray some, you need to have time for yourself, but you need time for social interaction. At the level in terms of balance or holistic living, if you will. And so my students have participated in this. And it's just amazing. All of them talk about feeling better. All about feeling renewed and refreshed. All of them recognize that there's these temptations. One woman said, I had to throw away all my Kohl's cash. She said, because I'm good at shopping clearances. Another young man said, I realized how difficult it was to give up technology. Well, we begin to recognize in some ways that technology or handheld devices have become addictive. Very difficult for people to give up. They're built for addictions in terms of their their dings and their whistles and their bells in terms of having to respond on a regular basis to the newest message that comes in. The monks didn't have to worry about that. They began to focus. What is it that the Spirit of God is leading me to? Listen for the way in which God's voice can be heard. Well, isn't this wonderful as we begin um, Lent? And last week we read of Jesus going out into the desert, an empty place, a quiet place, in order to listen to the voice of the Father, the voice of the Father who says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Interesting to note, I'm working with people constantly who are serving others, of taking care of others, and yet oftentimes themselves feel unworthy. How wonderful it is for them to be able to listen to the voice of God. You are my son, you are my daughter, you are my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. And so I'm still reading their papers. I'm reading the blessings that they've written. I'm reading their, their reflections. And all of them are so grateful for the opportunity to study the life of the Spirit 
as being foundational to the practice of servant leadership. It's very interesting, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on during Lent, because this is exactly the kind of thing that uh, we are stressing during these uh, these 40 days. We are, of course, the, the Diocese of La Crosse is very heavily involved in this uh, Real Presence program and uh, uh, Eucharistic revival, and I'm simply trying to get people to spend more time in introspection. Uh, and trying to at least think and understand that they have a side to them that they may not be, you know, exactly focusing on right now. So these people you're telling me actually were being able to thrive when they don't have all of their handheld devices on all the time. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And uh, everywhere I go on, I I speak publicly. I tell people that, um, why do they call them phones? Does anybody ever call anybody any longer? I ask high school kids, what would you rather have, a virtual friend or a real friend? How important it is for us to reconnect with each other. How important it is to listen to each other, to be quiet in each other's presence. Every group that I talk to, what do they talk about? Well, we need help with communication. Interesting to note, before the pandemic, we needed to hear things seven times. Now, after the pandemic, research says you need to hear things 47 times. So, my friend, when you apologize, oh, I, I hate to repeat myself, repeat yourself. Repetition is the mother of learning. We need to hear things over and over again. But more importantly, we need to be able to turn down the noise. We need to be present to the presence of God. We need to be quiet. Uh, in Trappist monasteries, there's a wonderful sign on the wall. Silence is the language that we speak here. I showed my, my students as a beginning, first class, it's all day, eight hours, and I showed them a movie for an hour and a half called Integrate Silence. We only watched half of it. It's a documentary done by a German documentarian who contacted the Carthusian monks of northern France asking if they could come and film them. He wrote in 1984, the monks got back to him in the year 2000. They say you can come now, but only bring yourself, no artificial light, and no uh, soundtracks. So he goes and he films the monks, lives with them for a year, and just films them doing the everyday things of being a monk, of praying, of working, of cleaning, of getting up at 12.15 in the morning to begin adoration and prayer, and the movie is called Integrate Silence. It won all kinds of awards uh, for, for the way in which it was put together. And then he shows pictures of the monks, and they don't speak. They just look into the eyes, and you can see in the eyes of these monks a, a perceptive calm and quiet and gentleness. So my students watched it for an hour and a half, and then I had them write about it. And what was really interesting is that they had entered so deeply into the silence of just watching this documentary documentary, that they had a hard time finding the words. You're entering great silence. Now, here it is. You've known this in many years of marriage. How many times have you spent time with your spouse, with your wife, and you're quiet? And neither one of you wants to speak because you do not want to interrupt that presence that you have with each other. Isn't it interesting, paradoxically, silence is the deepest form 
of Communication. Great Nobel Peace Prize laureate Elie Wiesel said this, this is the noisiest generation ever, but does anyone have anything to say? We've had an interesting time since October when my, my wife uh, missed a step on the stairs and uh, seriously broke a knee and a leg and uh, has been like in housebound since October. Just now she's able to get out and get into the car and, and go on limited trips. But uh, we have not gone out. We have not done a lot of things. And uh, one thing I decided to give up at length um, was I was watching too many movies. And so now we sit in the living room and she reads a book and I read a book and occasionally we make a comment. And like you say, there's a, a silence there and a lack of, um, what would you call it, a lack of just all that noise around us. Uh, we, we've already not gotten into cable television and frankly they just had some kind of award show for movies or TV or something and I didn't know a single actor that, that they had mentioned. Um, and, and also the same thing with the music awards. I just don't, I got other things to do. And I'm sure you, your world is probably uh, what some people would think is isolated from the real world, but I believe it's probably just the opposite. Well, it, 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 it is. And this is what the Desert Fathers and the Desert Mothers understood. As they withdrew out into the desert, they become much more deeply immersed through their prayer in the sufferings of the world. I had an opportunity a number of years ago to take students to um, Assisi, and then we went out to where the Capuchins um, were founded on the west coast of, uh, of Italy. Amazing place. And then we went to a, a Saint Cl- uh, the Poor Clares, their cloistered monastery. And they stopped talking. The sisters were, st- were sitting behind uh, the, their enclosure, so talking to us uh, uh, you know, at, a, at a distance and talking about their life and community, their life of prayer, their life of work talked about how at 3 o'clock in the afternoon they played volleyball. They have fun. I mean, these are young women living in the monastery and they needed social interaction. And then at uh, 5 o'clock they watched CNN for an hour. And then they had their supper and then they had evening prayer and then they went to bed and began the next day. And I asked the question, CNN? And the response was, how can we pray for the world if we don't know what's going on? So what do they do? They prayed the news. Well, I would suggest that that might be a Lenten practice. Instead of complaining about all the tragedy that you might see in Gaza, in Yemen, in South Sudan, in Ukraine, what if we spent time praying the news? Being contemplatives. Now, I want to go back to this, Jack, because you kind of alluded to it. And this is what your wife has just experienced. There's four stages in in the life of contemplation. Take a long, loving look at the real. Being present to the present. You think, why don't more people do this? Well, we say, oh, we're all so busy. Um, I think that busy is a form of a chidia, which the, the medieval monks called the noonday devils. Distractions. We keep ourselves so busy so we don't have to face ourselves. But if you spend time in contemplation, the next step is purgation. What you have to deal with is the suffering and disappointment in your life and the suffering and disappointment in the lives of other people as well. 
purgation. We used to call that examination of conscience, in which we have to come face to face with our true selves. The ways in which we are in which we are grace filled and the ways in which we are sinful. And have to embrace both. You don't get a you know in purgation you can't choose. So what is it like for people who suffer each and every day with chronic illness? What were we taught? Well, offer it up for the poor poor souls in purgatory. What was the wisdom there? Don't focus on your own pain. Begin to pay attention to the pain and suffering of others. I would imagine, not knowing your wife all that well, but she's a woman of faith who found herself in communion, not complaining about herself, but recognizing other people whose maladies are much more severe. After you go through the darkness, what happens is contemplation, purgation, and illumination. There's a sense of light, a sense of hope. On the other side, the people who walked in darkness see a great light. This is the great mystery of Holy Saturday, isn't it? Going into a darkened church and then one light lights another. People have walked in darkness as seeing a great light. And what happens, it goes from contemplation to purgation to illumination to unification. Now I want to share that light with others. I want to be united to others. And one of the things that I've come to understand is this. We are united in silence. We don't need all kinds of noise. We just need to be present to the needs. Also, people tend to think that the time we're living in is uniquely difficult compared to the rest of the time. And I grabbed a couple of booklets that I have had for many years. One of them was printed in 1981 by a guy who was a former disc jockey who became a consultant called The Art of Personality Radio. And in this book, along with his advice, he's got some simple one-liners. And I was shocked. This is 1981. He says, somebody broke into my car and sold $100 worth of groceries. Now, I'm assuming the guy probably needed the food, but did he have to break my glove compartment? The joke being that $100 back in 1981 would only buy enough food to fit into the glove compartment of a car. And here we are today hearing people talk about all these problems. Part of it is that I appreciate these these uh, these sisters looking at CNN, but you've got to stay at the top half of the, of the screen because at the bottom half is nothing but clickbait. They're not doing anything except getting you to scroll through a bunch of nonsense in order to see ads in between them. Yeah, the idea... Of, cutting back and look at the news as a great idea. But boy, I'll tell you, it is so easy to get sucked into the world of all of this clickbait. It's it's around everything on, on screen these days. I agree with that. We don't have to look at those screens. There's a level and there's a discipline. They don't watch it all day long. Just a, you, you can get a good smattering of what's taking place in the world in a very short period of time, but we cannot withdraw from the world. No, neither did Jesus. When we talk about, uh, about the Gospels, I think sometimes we become way too antiseptic. Jesus lived under the oppression of the Romans. And the Romans were as oppressive and as brutal as any other regime in the history of humanity. They crucified 2,000 people in one day, nailing them to the walls of Jerusalem. Huh? Isn't that extraordinary? They ran out of wood for crosses. And what were they telling to the Jewish people? We're in control. 
So when we see the brutality of war today, and we see it all around us, understand this, the Romans were like that. One of the things that happens in terms of Jesus' day, if you couldn't pay your tax, they took your wife or daughter and sold them into slavery. The Jewish people lived under the oppression of the Romans. And so when Jesus you know, was con- confronted, give to Caesar what is Caesar, people were horrified. They didn't even try to... But what happened is that the rabbis were not supposed to even have Roman money. So when they had Roman money in their pocket, he was saying, wait a minute here, who are you worshiping? He knew very, very well. Think of the levels in terms of poverty. Think of the time in terms of what Jesus lived. People did not have access to clean water. Why is it they added wine to water? Well, it was to purify it so they could drink it. They didn't have access to, to, to food on, you know, in terms of agricultural systems, how they fasted. Think about how they were susceptible to disease. And at the time that Jesus dies, there are still people that were hungry, still people who were sick, still people who were not invited back into the community. But he did what he, what he could with what he had, where he was at. And in that, promised, promised light to the world. Well, that's what I wanted my students to focus on, is not what they can't do, but what they can do. And what was amazing within these religious communities that went out to the desert and then later became the monasteries of the Dominicans and the Franciscans and the Benedictines and the Carmelites and the Jesuits, all of them gathered together and could do so much more together than they could ever do alone. This is the power of the church. When we gather together, are present to the presence of God in worship and in work. We can do so much more than we could ever do alone, but it asks us to be focused, to concentrate, to be present to the goodness of each other. And Jack, how many thousands of hours have you spent listening to the stories, the agonies and joys of your fellow human beings on the radio? You do this as well as anybody I know. Well, I appreciate that. I'm energized by all of the good news that I hear. Like you say, people working together. I'm still amazed at how Catholic Charities got together with the Afghan refugees and practically overnight got them the things they needed. It is a wonderful feeling. And we were talking about this in a previous show, about these people feeling alone. And I said, go help out with a pancake breakfast. Go to church. You'll find people like you who, who want to do good things and just join them and do it. Don't just run off and say, I'm going to be isolated from all religious. I'm just going to figure it out for myself. That doesn't really work too well. No, it doesn't. Here's a, you hit on a real important difference. There's a difference between being alone and being lonely. And when you nurture solitude and silence in your own life, you become comfortable with yourself. And this is one of those difficult things to admit. But as we get older, we spend more and more time alone. In your teen years, in your early early years of your career, you're constantly surrounded by people. But as you age, family members move away, friends die, and to spend more and more time alone. 
Well, if you spent a whole life just being busy or distracted, this is frightening to people. But it also could be a very important time in one's own spiritual life of nurturing solitude and silence, over and against feeling like I'm lonely or I have nothing to contribute or nothing to offer. One of my thoughts is this. The world is held together by all that the community of saints who each and every day spend their lives in wheelchairs and pray for the world. All those wonderful silent saints whose prayers knit together the world. They pray for their families and their communities. They pray in gratitude for the lives that God has given them. People who have become comfortable in silence. Uh, This is a great gift that we can give to ourselves. When I would travel with my father when I was growing up, he wouldn't say very much. We'd be in the car and he was very comfortable in silence. One night he came home and he was kind of laughing. And he said, I got asked tonight at a party why I don't say more. And my father said, you never have to take back anything you listen to. Huh? Isn't that, isn't that a little piece of wisdom? How many of us have found ourselves saying too much and listening too little? To be quiet, to be present, to be alone is a great gift that we can give to ourselves and to others. And that's what my students discovered. Leadership, they say, it's lonely at the top. How many leaders have to contemplate and think about the next decision that they have to make for tomorrow and how their decisions are going to affect the lives of other people? Well, there has to be time for discernment and prayer and contemplation. doesn't make it any easier, but it gives a way forward. It gives a level of clarity. Clarity in the mind of the leader is a gift to the organization. Confusion in the mind of the leader creates a fog in the organization. Contemplation offers clarity. We were talking earlier about uh, how uh, Bishop Callahan, one of my favorite phrases of his is, no one is disposable. And you would think in your busy schedule, you're lecturing, you're writing, uh, you're teaching, you're doing all these things, you're traveling around uh, uh, TED Talks, all kinds of things. And yet when I was scheduling this chat with you, you said, I have to go over and, uh, and it's my turn to work over at Place of Grace. Can you explain for people, we have people listening not only in the diocese, but also outside of the diocese uh, and others. We're also, by the way, now on iTunes and Amazon uh, and, uh, you know, all these uh, podcasting venue. So people are hearing us from different places. Can you explain what your relationship is to Place of Grace, uh, where it is, what it does, and why is it doing what it does? Well, thank you very much, Jack, for that. Uh, The Place of Grace is a Catholic worker house that I helped to found uh, 27 years ago uh, in our neighborhood. Uh, There had been a a drive-by shooting and people were afraid. I had been visiting neighbors in the neighborhood See, one of the things I firmly believe, love your neighbor as yourself, and that institutions are neighbors. Schools, hospitals, businesses, oftentimes are our neighborhoods. And so began visiting people in our neighborhood and realized that people were afraid because they didn't know each other. 87% of the people in our, our neighborhood are people that rent. So that what happens, you have this great migration of renters moving in and out, and you need levels of stability, and this is what's really important right now across the country 
want to eliminate violence, rebuild neighborhoods where people know each other, trust each other, look out for each other. This is what becomes very significant. Very difficult, but it works. So a group of us began this uh, Catholic Worker House 27 years ago, and this is how we began. We gathered at 7 o'clock on a Monday morning. If you want a meeting, everybody's now very enamored with Doodle, trying to find out what's the time that's most convenient for other people. You'll never find a time that's convenient for everybody. You want to get something done? Find an inconvenient time. And the people that want to be there will show up. So we sent the letter out to 12 people. 11 out of 12 came. We sat down in the room, didn't quite know what to do. And one of my good friends, former student and colleague, Earl Maderi, began with this. The Lord hears the cry of the poor. Blessed be the Lord. And for 27 years, every Monday, a small group of us begin with that prayer. We pray ourselves into silence, and then we listen to the Sunday gospel, and from that Sunday gospel, we are led as to what we're going to do this next week. We have a house of hospitality at 919 Hood Street, in which we follow one rule and one rule only. It comes from St. Benedict that was handed on and then embraced by Dorothy Day, the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, and that is treat every guest as if the guest were Christ himself. That's our rule. Anybody who walks through the front door is treated as if they were Christ himself. Well, our work is that we have a pantry, and that's where I was going the other day. I, I run the pantry from two from 12 until 2. People are coming in for groceries. Uh, rather interesting is, is that some of our, our folks come and they bring groceries. They get things on food share, that they don't like to eat, and so they exchange the food with us. We have people who come in because they, they're they on, on a fixed income. People are having to make choices today between their groceries and gas money to get themselves to work. It's difficult with families, with teenagers, to kind of keep up with grocery prices. Whatever we have is gift. Our one rule, one bag of groceries a week. But people are able to come in and literally shop. We've also added a clothes pantry. And what are we finding? People that are unsheltered are coming and getting clothes. If you don't have money for a place to live, you don't have money for a laundromat. I want to just say something that's very significant. People are looking at the number of people who don't have a place to live. And they're saying, why don't their families do something? Well, Many of the people that are unsheltered grew up in foster care. Many of the people had been in institutions. Many of people who find themselves in that kind of situation have burnt a lot of bridges, and they're all by themselves in the world. And so what do we do? Not changing the world. We're just trying to treat every person as if they were Christ himself. Not with judgment with love. So we do that from Tuesdays to Thursdays. Tuesdays from 12 until 2. On Thursdays, we open our pantry from 3 until 5. And at 5 o'clock on Thursdays, we have a community meal where everyone is welcome. To sit down at a common table. And one of the interesting things, people come to volunteer and I'll say, well, let's sit down and have supper. 
No, no, no. I, I, I didn't. I don't. I don't need to eat. I said, Well, why don't you need to eat? Well, I've already eaten. I said, No, no. Our work is to sit down at a common table. Who did Jesus sit down and eat with? Everybody. That was the nature in terms of the monastery. Welcome every person that's up there, Christ himself. Live as brothers and sisters. So, Jack, you'll really appreciate this. Last week, we had one of our supporters, Justin Trusoni. Always like to lift up the names of good people. An organic farmer from Genoa who has five children. And he comes once a month and he cooks organic food. Oh, are people excited. How often, if you're poor, do you only get poor quality food? Not Justin. Organic beef, meatloaf, organic barbecue sauce without any sugars, or uh, organic butternut squash, organic Brussels sprouts and red onions. And then he traded some of his butternut squash to his neighbor who makes homemade sourdough bread. We sat and had a feast because of this good man. And what did he do? He treated us all as if they're Christ himself. Isn't that amazing? It's that kind of goodness, that kind of commitment to a good greater than themselves that I see all the time that's taking place. So let's go back to it. What's the process? One, it starts with contemplation. Take a long, loving look at the real. This young man was brought up in a family of prayer, a a Catholic home in which you are concerned about not only yourself but others. So what does contemplation do? It leads us to community. Community. Where we stand shoulder to shoulder and see how we can broaden the circle. How can we invite everybody in? I just love James Joyce's uh, definition of Catholicism. Here comes everybody. And you go to any church and what do you see at communion time? There's everybody going up to receive communion from a 7-year-old to an 87-year-old. To a teenage kid who's kind of having slouching shoulders, to a woman whose level of piety just strikes a level of reverence that we cannot deny. The strength of our communities. Third, what does community do? It focuses on commitment. I cannot be committed to something if I do not have the support of other people. Service is love made visible in all of our lives. All of our lives are predicated on the service, the sacrifice, and commitment of other people. What do we do as a group? We commit ourselves to ways that no one, we could never do ourselves. I cannot stop the war in Ukraine, but I can donate to Catholic Relief Services that's making sure that Ukrainian children are fed. Finally, what does that lead us to? Contemplation leads to community, leads to commitment, leads to conversion. In this whole process, I am changed. I love seeing young people wearing T-shirts that says, be the change in the world that you want to see from Gandhi. Well, where does that change take place? It takes place in the inner chambers of the human heart. When our hearts are changed, we are changed, and we change the world. I just saw a T-shirt, and this was aimed at people in our age bracket, and it was being as a joke. It said, if we all drove stick shifts and wrote in cursive, we would confuse an entire generation. Again, uh, we, we do look at people who are younger than we are being very, very 
tied up in things. And we talked about it already, about the technology and all that. One of the things that's going on during this time of Lent and during this Eucharistic revival that the diocese and other dioceses all over the country are working on, trying to get young people back so that they could go to Mass and they could see what you just described. You know, the seven-year-old, the 87-year-old, all these people who are just there as a common bond. I'm hoping that in our way, uh, doing these kind of broadcasts, that we can encourage people to grab your, your kids and say, hey, let's let's go to Mass. Let's go to Mass. And when there's going to be this big thing in in June um, with, the, uh, with the real presence and they're going to have the lacrosse center there and people singing and speakers and all this, they really want people to bring their kids to it as well, to see people who are doing things that may be of great, great interest to these kids, even if they don't really expect to see it. So we'll see what happens. Well, I mean, I, I love this wonderful line. It is better to light one candle than the curse of darkness. And again, uh, a life of contemplation leads to a, a life of light. I want to just talk on behalf of young people. I spend my, my whole life now working with people who are much younger than myself. In fact, that's the role of us elders, Jack, is to encourage the next generation. I don't find myself criticizing. In fact, I'm a little tired of people my age with gray hair in their 70s going, oh, young people these days, oh, young people these days. I tell you what, we were back in the 60s, Jack. We weren't so hot. What did did our elders say about us? Oh, young people these days. About five weeks ago, a young woman came into the Place of Grace. She had drove up from Viroqua, which is 40 miles from La Crosse. She goes to an alternative high school, and she came. I, I came to serve tonight. Is there anything I can do? And we set her to work peeling carrots. And she peeled and chopped the carrots and helped with the salad, but then went out and talked to the people that were there, people in wheelchairs, people on oxygen, people who have had hard traveling. And here was this wonderful 17-year-old, just bright, smiling. She was a gift of joy in the midst of, of, a, of a dreary January evening. And then she contacts my wife Priscilla and I and says, I'd like to do a fundraiser for the Place of Grace. This is the night. And she organized a community dinner in Viroqua at a vegetarian restaurant called Lately Maybe. And I had to be on a Zoom call at 7 o'clock at night. My wife was Busy until 4.15 in the afternoon. Roke was an hour away. My wife said, we're going. Well, I was Mr. Grumpus. I didn't want to drive 100 miles for a vegetarian dinner. But we got in the car and we drove. We get to Westby, which is about 10 miles from Roke. And I said, I got to change my attitude. So, okay, open myself up to possibility. We go down, we park, we walk in, and the place is just vibrant. Here are all of her classmates serving people. She had put on a vegetarian dinner for the community, and they could donate what they wanted for the Place of Grace. And we had a vegetable curry. We had a marvelous cabbage salad. We had this sugar-free cake. It was delicious, but what was more important, these young people were just so filled with joy as they served. Service is love made visible, and you could feel it. Last week, she came with a friend of hers, 
And she said, I'd like to present to you what I was able to raise. And she handed us a check for $1,400. A 17-year-old girl put on a community vegetarian dinner to help feed the people who live in La Crosse who have had some hard traveling. Now you tell me, is that not good news? Is that not evangelization? Is that what's not possible when we gather together for a good greater than ourselves? But again, I will tell you, we will not do that unless we become contemplative people who are willing to take a long, loving look at the real and be moved by the Spirit of God to serve, to love, and to understand. There may be also opportunities for mentoring and just listening to some of these kids. I I have limited uh, things that I can offer to kids mostly, but one of them is that I enjoy giving a young person a reasonably good camera because when I was in eighth grade, I had a relative give me a little developing kit and it changed part of the trajectory of my life uh, because I enjoyed photography, but I also began using it with work. I began writing about it, you know, writing for photo magazines and all this stuff. And so I'm, as I get older, I don't need all these cameras and all this equipment. So I find young people who have a genuine interest and just give it to them because it, then they take it and they catch fire with it. Uh, it's something I have that I can do. Maybe someone else has got some other talent that they happen to be really good at that they can share with a young person and maybe, again, change the trajectory of their lives as well. One of the things I'm, I'm telling because people always ask me, how can I get involved? And I ask the people for it right away, what do you love? What do you enjoy doing? And so what, what you just described, Jack, is really what took place in the early church, this monastic community. Everybody had a gift. How do you create the environment where people are able to share their gift? You share your gift of listening, of keeping up with technology, of giving other people an opportunity so that they may be heard. That's your gift. I have a friend of mine, uh, Larry Sobronik. I always like, I'm a gossip, by the way, Jack. If you don't want me to, if you don't want anybody to know about it, don't tell me. I'm not good at keeping secrets. I'm a gossip. Is anybody out there good at gossip? I hope so. Gossip comes from two Anglo-Saxon words, God and sibling. Gossip is God talk about our brothers and sisters. When we do it well, we build the community up. When we do it poorly, we tear the community apart. Communities are built on gossip, the way in which you talk to and with each other each and every day. So my friend Larry Sobronik likes online auctions. And in November and early December, he went online and he bid on clothes, lots of clothes that are returned to the big box stores, oftentimes with the tags still on it, or things that they were not able to sell, even in terms of clearance. He says, I never go over $2 a box, then somebody else can have it. So he buys these boxes of clothes. He enjoys it. And he brings them to the place of grace. And we go through online auction for all these new clothes. We're able to take them out and put them on our tables and give them as Christmas gifts. We don't have the money to go out shopping for everybody. Larry Sobronik 
has a time and has the interest and through an online auction bought Christmas gifts for probably 100 people. Take what you enjoy doing and share it generously with others. There's a lady across the river in Hoka, Minnesota, not too far from here. And I drive past her, her main, main street um, house. She always has a rack of clothes and kids' toys and things, and it just says free. And I've always wondered where she was getting all this stuff, but she has a network. A good friend of mine passed away a couple of months ago, and immediately someone went to his widow and said, if you're not going to do anything with all these clothes, we'll take them all and take them to this lady in Hoka. And all of a sudden, boom, here's a whole bunch of size medium zipper jackets and pants and all kinds of good stuff. And the stuff disappears overnight. This guy who passed away had a kind of a thrift store and a laundromat. And it was one of his great joys to put out a an area in front of his store with a sign that said free. And so his generosity in his passing uh, was, was carried on. And we thought it was extremely fitting. And again, a whole bunch of people got these. Now, what they did with the clothes when they got them, they may have brought them to the place of grace for all we know. But that was how it, the, the, the goodness just just spreads just naturally. It's kind of wonderful. Here's, here's something that comes right out of our tradition. Um, we think about March 17th that the Irish uh, have captivated and celebrate uh, joyfully. But March 19th is St. Joseph's Day, which the Italians celebrate. And in Italian neighborhoods, and of course, Jack, you growing up and visiting all different parts of the country, in an Italian neighborhood on March 19th, they have tables of plenty set in the streets. And people make their best dishes for everyone in the community. A table for the poor. Why? As Italian immigrants, they remembered how hard they struggled when they first got to this country and how hard it was, but without the grace of God and the gift of the community, it would never survive. And so they continue to respond in the same way that Joseph provided for the Holy Family, they provide for their communities. They're rich in our tradition, but where does that come from? Well, they had a devotion to the St. Joseph. A level into the contemplation. This man, who never speaks one thing in the Gospels, and yet is prominent in our faith. Contemplation. Contemplation that built a community, that led to a commitment to a level of conversion in which people's lives are changed by goodness. This is our work. Again, going back to when talking about leadership, you cannot sustain it by yourself. This is not about individual service. This is about sharing God's gifts as a community. And it can only be sustained through contemplation and prayer. I hear so many people now feeling like they're burned out, overwhelmed. And why wouldn't they be? 41% of the American workforce today are also caregivers, meaning that they're caring for people under the age of 18 or over the age of 18. 23% of that 41% are caring for both younger children and older parents. And of that 23%, 50% talked about suicidal ideation. That in terms of caring for people each and every day, they didn't know how much longer they could do it. Well, 
with that level of exhaustion, what if we'd offer contemplative communities where people could be refreshed in moments of silence and acceptance, where they can be refreshed by the prayer and the generosity of others? This is where I think hope resides. Yeah, that word hope has come up an awful lot in recent uh, recent months and in recent weeks uh, in all parts of the country and the world. I, you know, I hate to tell you this, my good friend, but uh, uh, you have filled this hour with some wonderful good thoughts. And uh, any any final comments before uh, we have to let you go? Our, our, our bodies are fed by the life of the soul. Our souls are fed by the life of God. Fair enough. Uh, Tom Thibodeau, a distinguished professor of servant leadership at Viterbo University and a periodic guest on here because it's always good to hear what he has to say. We will talk to you again uh, as we work our way through Lent, okay? All right, and I'll try to continue to live and lead like a monk. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Thank you very much. All right. You may have heard us laughing just now because both Tom and I have the cameras turned on on our two laptops so we can actually see each other. And about the time we're saying the goodbye you just heard, one of our, well, orphan cats, one of the ones who showed up on our porch some time ago, a little guy named Pogi, we named him, a little short-haired thing, he got into the studio. Now, Pogi came to my front porch, put his front paws up on my leg, looked at me, meowed, and then rolled over on his back to have his belly rubbed. Well, he became a member of the family. But also, he tends to get into things, and he just came in, literally, as we were saying goodbye, and jumped up on the table where the uh, the machinery is to do the show. And you may have heard a couple of little meows coming from him as well. Well, that's how it goes. This is a real-life broadcast in a real-life time, and we do take care of our critters as best we can. We'll be back after this on Connecting the Diocese. <music> Well, what a thought-filled show from Tom Thibodeau. I really enjoyed having him on, as usual. But also, it fit very well in with what we have been talking about these past weeks and what we will be talking about these next several weeks as we do cover this idea of this uh, valuing uh, the Eucharist, valuing all the things surrounding it, and trying to get people to spend more time thinking about their spiritual side. And, as Tom talks about, it isn't all just quiet contemplation in isolation. Quite the opposite. It's getting involved, getting it with people. Uh, There's an old uh, book about the Jewish kibbutz called Life is with People. True. Regardless of what religion it is, life is with people. If you're new in town, for example, now, you don't know anybody, go to the Catholic Church, talk to the priest. Say, I'm new in town, my name is so-and-so. Just want to know what I can do to, to get involved. Or if you're a member of a different religion, the same thing. If you haven't been going to church for a long time, just go back and say, Hi, I want to kind of get back involved. What what is happening around here? There are so many things going on these days that you can get involved in. One place to look is your own church bulletin. Another place to look is the Diocese of La Crosse website, diolc.org. You'll see all kinds of things going on. This is a very dynamic diocese. If you're outside of the Diocese of La Crosse, check the website for the diocese that you live in. I think you're going to find the same thing. There is a great deal of need for help, but there's also just a great deal going on that could help you. It could help you de-stress. It could help you be not quite so lonely. It could help you see people doing things that are really interesting that make you say, hey, you know, 
I want to do some of that as well. So part of what we're doing is getting you to join in the fun and join in the personal fulfillment that you'll feel when you get more active in your church. Start by going to diolc.org. Jack Sosha here with you in the final few minutes of Connecting the Diocese. Thank you so much for joining us. And feel free to drop us an email note at any time. Just write to connecting at diolc.org. We are also available online at diolc.org slash connecting. Also on, I believe, Spotify, also on Amazon, and also on iTunes if you want to listen to us on your little device that you have. Speaking of being online, I want to talk to you about something for a minute or two, and I'm a little bit uh, not worried about it, but I've got to couch this the right way because, as is the case with mentioning almost anything online involving social media, along with something that you want people to see, they may run across things that they don't want to see. And this can be the case with Facebook Reels. Now, what is Facebook Reels? Facebook Reels is this thing that is part of Facebook where people can put up short videos about a variety of topics. It is possible to tell Facebook to hide the ones you don't want to see, but it isn't always as effective as you'd like it to be. So you may find silly get-rich-quick schemes. Uh, You may find, uh, for some reason, presentations of impossibly thin Asian models wearing designer clothes. And I don't know what they're selling, but I don't have the sound up, so it doesn't matter. And basically just some dumb jokes, some of which are not particularly nice. But what caught my attention, and it began some weeks ago, and it's almost inescapable, I am seeing videos from all over the world that are basically promoting being kind. And it's it's getting very obvious. There's one gentleman in Turkey who keeps producing these short videos where there is some person who needs some food and they're trying to take little scraps from someone else's leftovers and he sees them and he buys them dinner. Another one, and this one was from Eastern European country where it was a Valentine's Day one where this rather well-turned-out young man is waiting for his date And he has a huge thing of helium balloons with a Valentine's card on it. And in the other hand, a big box of candy. Well, the equally well-turned-out young lady with her high heels and her fancy clothes comes running towards him to greet him. But in the process, there's an older lady working her way home slowly, carrying a plastic jug of milk. And the young lady collides with her, bumps into her because she's not paying attention. And the woman drops the jug and it bursts all over. Well... The young lady, as opposed to profusely apologizing, berates this lady for how clumsy she is and how dare she get in my way. Well, the date is watching all this. And then eventually when the woman gets over to him to pick up her card, which is attached to the helium balloons, he looks at her coldly and he reaches out as if to give her the card, which is suspended by the balloons, and then he just lets it go and it goes up into the air. The woman is shocked. The young lady is just... She can't figure out what's going on, and she goes running after it to try to catch it. Well, while she's running after trying to catch the balloon with the card, he walks over to the old lady who is still recovering from being basically knocked down and hands her the candy. I couldn't help but notice that these Facebook reels, these short videos, there are these little morality plays being produced from all over the world in every culture you can imagine. And I think that's a really good sign. Every time I see one of these, it seems to be saying the same message, that we have to love and respect each other a lot more than we have been recently. I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Connecting the Diocese.